0: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the pod. Finally going to get a chance to to at least do one gamer, a a very interesting Miami-Cleveland game, although it it became a bit of an eyesore with the three-point shooting. So we'll talk about that. Also got to finish out the 15 and 60 with the Knicks, Sixers, and those same Miami Heat. And get to another pretty newsworthy day today. We're sponsored by RX Bar, which is a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash capspace and enter promo code capspace at checkout. So why don't we start here with the news? Probably the biggest thing right now is the Phoenix Suns agreeing to a contract buyout with Greg Monroe. We don't know how much money, in fact, Monroe gave up out of the 17.8 million that he was due this year. He's already made about 10, so he's got about seven million left this year. And Woj reporting that Boston is a likely suitor with part, not all, of that 8.4 million dollar disabled player exception.
1: Yeah, it's it's also interesting with Monroe, of course, the money that Boston can offer is better than everybody else, but he is also a New Orleans native and New Orleans has a a far greater need for Greg Monroe. And of course the most notable part of this is the timing because we are eight days before the trade deadline and so while it is entirely possible that the sun's exhausted all of let's use the word available options because available makes it so that certain options which should be open to them which might not have been are not considered it it seems to me like this is an interesting timing and it is possible because agents can do this sort of thing that there was some sort of thing with boston saying basically if you don't facilitate your way out we're going to use this dp a different way because they only get to use it on one player
0: yeah and very rare will it be the case that there are so many teams with so much money available boston in particular has a need for Monroe. i think where he could help the most actually is in what became somewhat of an atrophied skill in his milwaukee and phoenix days handling the ball at from the elbows at the high post, facilitating, although he's not the shooter that Horford is, he does provide some of those elements, giving them a little bit more scoring on the second unit, which they really desperately need. And the note that it would only be part of that leaves plenty of firepower left for them as well to compete for other free agents a reminder that that disabled player exception from the Gordon Hayward deal it enables you to sign a free agent or to trade for a player in the last year of his contract making up to 8.4 million dollars um for the Suns the hope was that as one of the few big expiring contracts that Monroe could be used but it seems going back to reporting from the Eric Bledsoe trade that the Suns, as is what you were alluding to earlier, are adamantly against taking on bad money going forward, in part because I think Ryan McDonough was quoted recently as saying they expect to be a little bit more active in free agency this year. It didn't go so well for them. The last time they were active in free agency in 2015 and 2016, but nonetheless, that seems to be the strategy and trading Monroe, you just weren't going to get anything for him to get Hughes, the biggest expiring contract out there uh among guys who's really just eminently tradable for not that much. And so you were never going to get back another expiring contract that was worse money than him to match salaries and that would also give you back an asset. So if that was their stance that they just could not take on any money past 2018, past the, the summer of 2018, then this is a logical result. I just, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that stance by them.
1: Incidentally, because Amin used to be employed by the Suns, when I uh, one time when we were talking for real jam radio this is years ago he brought up the point to me i had talked about injury prevention and star powers being the biggest competitive advantages in sports and he talked about ownership and at the time i'm like oh that's an interesting idea and over the last little while i have gained a greater appreciation for that idea because this isn't even a circumstance of the sun's getting anywhere close to the luxury tax this isn't anything crazy like that it's just spending money below the tax and it's not like that flexibility
0: the cap i mean this year they're uh, like 13 million dollars under the cap let's see yeah that's uh no i'm sorry 16 no that's wrong. Nine million dollars below the cap this year. They should have about sixteen million in space
1: next year. Next year, and and so the assumption, which is borne out by basically mountains of evidence based on other things, is that they could have gotten a better asset from the sun from the Bucks in that Eric Bledsoe trade if they had taken on some money. Mir, uh, Mirza Toledovich is the most likely that it could have been, but they, you know, there could, there are ways they could have done it, and they decided not to do that. And then Greg Monroe. I mean, I got ripped when I I wrote a piece criticizing the Suns for this trade and said people should not see Greg Monroe as an asset because the suns aren't going to get anything for him and they're like oh no you know good player on an expiring contract like that's not the way this is working the chance to get a val asset for that has already passed and it ended up being you know that wasn't a guarantee but that ended up being right and that's just the operating thesis you have to use for the suns is that they will spend enough money to make it seem like they like they're trying but not spend enough to actually do the stuff on the margins which makes them a better team and if they get improved from here if they can get better with the draft picks they have from themselves and my and they still aren't willing to spend then it becomes an even bigger issue but hopefully several will have sold by then
0: i suspect that everything that you said is correct the defense for this is well you know what teams just weren't realistic about how much it was going to cost to get off of long-term money right now we've talked previously about how those contracts that were four-year deals signed in the summer of 2016 those are still almost all too terrible to trade away uh, because you're you really a first round pick isn't enough to take those on yet and that there were not that many contracts Jared Bayless was one of them and we had floated the idea of Monroe maybe going there before the Trevor Booker trade and you know maybe Bayless coming back to the Suns but nonetheless maybe they just felt like well you know what we tried to take on money we, we'd like to use free agent space and then those deals to take on bad money will always be there next year once we've tried to see what's out there in free agency and so maybe teams just, you know, there's been a lot of reporting that just there are not first-round picks that are out there available. They also have already a ton of first-round picks coming in in these next few years, including those two from Miami in the Dragic trade. So maybe that deal that we're talking about wasn't out there, but probably would have at least liked to hold on to him until the trade deadline to find out whether it was or not. But maybe Monroe just offered them back so much money that they couldn't say no. Maybe that's what ended up happening. And so that, you know, if he gave back 5 million bucks, that might enlighten perhaps uh, why this happened
1: it very well could and so we'll, we'll see where it goes from here and Monroe the logic behind him going to the Celtics early on was oh you know look all they have is Aaron Baines and Al Horford but a Baines has had a better year than I anticipated Daniel Tice has has been a meaningful contributor which is very good for them so it's nice to have depth but if that's the way this goes it's a, it's it's a little bit weird in the sense that I don't think they really need him especially in the playoffs when teams generally get smaller like playoff series get smaller over time depending on who the Celtics play and how far they go but he is still a really good player and he helps improve their talent level for sure
0: yeah I think just the scoring on the second unit is something that uh, they really needed they have massively struggled with Kyrie uh, off floor and we can talk about how good Monroe is he he I thought he might be able to make somewhat of an impact in Phoenix uh, that was not at all uh, the case uh, and so we got a lot more to get here some more injury news some more rumors uh, as well the uh, rest of the 15 and 60 uh, but first this for from RX bar. I actually ate one of these on the air on the Tour NBA show and really enjoyed it. It's a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients and it actually just lists every ingredient right on the wrapper for each one. Unlike a lot of protein bars, they actually have like real texture and it's like some kind of actually discernible normal food taste. So they throw in egg whites for protein, they've got dates to bind it and plenty of nuts, a breakfast on the go, a snack at the office. Maybe take it with you to the gym, have it after you're done. These are better tasting than the vast majority of protein bars that I've had. They have 11 delicious flavored varieties. They're all gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and free of any added sugar, artificial colors and flavors, etc. You can actually taste the cocoa, the real fruit, and the spices like, say, sea salt. So whether you like sweet or savory... There's an RX Bar for you. And if you go to rxbar.com slash capspace, easier to run that slash cap space URL around this time of year, especially rxbar.com slash capspace and enter that promo code capspace at checkout that'll get you 25% off your first order once again rxbar.com slash cap space use that cap space code then to get 25% off your first order and of course let them know that you came from us so uh, a quick mea culpa again two days in a row we got to do this i noted that george hill had had some issues with his toe this year that in fact is not true and, and i had listened to brian windhorse podcast on the hoops hype podcast on monday and heard him talk about it and then he actually apologized for having gotten that wrong and i had paired him so I will apologize for having gotten it wrong as well. knew at the time i was like yeah i don't remember him specifically missing time for that uh but uh, i just had that in mind and said it so i was wrong about that i apologize george hill uh not that i don't still have concerns about his toe given that it was a chronic issue and he didn't have surgery for it but uh has not missed games due to the toe this year also just for the Suns, isaiah cannon is going to be out for the year for sure he had a horrific ankle fracture which thankfully i did not happen to be watching at the time that it occurred i will not be watching it i don't don't particularly enjoy watching those gruesome injuries unless I happen to be watching it live and I can't avoid it so uh, he's going to be out for the year he'd provided a nice shooting element for them they really just have been struggling to find a solution at point guard more time for Tyler Eulis. probably they'll just play Devin Booker straight up at point guard they're playing Daniel House now as well Uh, Devon Reed should be back shortly for them Troy Daniels will probably play more as well in the absence of Canada. too bad for him because he actually was playing pretty well um what else we got here
1: well so one of the big differences between this year and prior years is that the trade deadline now occurs with the week and all that preceding it being games and so what we're seeing is Nikola Miritich and Tyreek Evans are the first two but there might be more players who are on the trade block getting shut down during games because they don't want these guys to get hurt during negotiations so Miritich missed Chicago's game he warmed up and then didn't play and then Tyreek Evans didn't play in Memphis's four-point loss in Indiana which was actually close until the very end.
0: Yeah, and uh, good tank moves for both of these teams. I mean, if Memphis has Evans, they probably win that game in in Indiana. Uh, And the Bulls now, after a recent losing streak, I think they've dropped five straight, are right back within three games of the worst record in the NBA. Uh, Lowry Markin has been out for personal reasons for them as well, and they got 28 points in the first quarter and 50 in three quarters, dropped on them by C.J. McCollum in this one. and. Now they're right back to Cristiano Felicio and Paul Zipzer playing minutes for them and Ryan Archidiakono. And guess what? They're uh, right back to being the team that they were at the start of the year uh, lately. And Miritich, I think, was easily their best player this season. And so they're going to miss him when they move him. But, you know, it has value to move him just simply to improve their draft pick this year with them not being a playoff threat. And this the last year of the old lottery odds. And so it makes a lot of sense to leave him out. The reporting continues to be uh, that the Jazz have some interest in Miritich, but they are hesitant to include a first. The Jazz can offer an expiring contract in Derek Favors, but he's also a guy who has some value in and of himself. And so I don't know that it necessarily makes sense to include him. Joe Johnson would be another one who would make more sense in such a deal but the idea of a first straight up for Mirtic and then actually sending a useful player back doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense when the deal with the Pels was a first for Mirodich and getting off a of 14 million dollars in dead salary as well so any deal that Utah is going to make unless maybe it included Alec Burks would likely not make a, a ton of sense in light of the reported terms of, of that New Orleans deal and then as for Evans reports continue to indicate and we're gonna have Mark Stein on tomorrow to talk more about this that there's a first round pick required by Memphis I continue to maintain that just a straight up first round pick for and just expiring money going back for Tyreek is not going to happen. That they're going to maybe they'll get there first, but they're going to have to either take back some bad salary or include a, a second or include a young player or something like that. It's not going to be just a straight up first round pick worth of value especially because the teams that want him generally other than maybe Boston are lower in the pecking order and so we're talking about a pick in the teens or maybe the early 20s not a pick right at the end of the first round
1: and furthermore any team without cap space which is basically all of them would have to use an exception because non-bird rights as a player who signed for 3.2 million non-bird rights aren't yeah. enough to sign Tyreek Evans so it is a straight yeah, rental to resign, him yeah, to re-sign at, him. after
0: the year yeah right
1: so it's a straight rental so you get him for you know 30 games with. adjustment time and then the playoffs so that's a first round pick for that is awfully rich but if you can send jared bayless if you can send somebody else and memphis would be wise to do so to improve their asset because they don't have cap space for the 2018-19 season anyway so if they can take on somebody that doesn't put them in jeopardy why the heck not Let's
0: turn now to the Knicks. Uh, Ron Baker, fires up player option voice, is suffered a dislocated right shoulder and also has a torn labrum, that sounds like. Out for the year, surgery required. He's listed as out indefinitely right now. And he has a, uh, they signed him to the full room mid-level this year with a second year player option, which, uh, you know, I think he uh, might possibly uh, pick up. Uh, and of greater intrigue with New York, Joe Noah, who everyone has confirmed, basically has been exiled from the team. He won't be required to return to the team prior to the February 8th treadmill trade deadline per Begley and Woj and I still find it very unlikely that they will be able to trade him uh, and maybe they'll just send him home I hope they do that rather than just straight up buying him out you know that's probably what the Pistons should have done with Josh Smith rather than just waving and stretching him uh, at the time that they did Um, and then last thing this is hasn't really been that much uh, on the radar but Dan Lebitard who used to be a, a reporter once upon a time now he's mostly a TV personality but uh, he did note uh, that multiple sources according to him say that magic johnson is kind of doing the job with the lakers the way that we kind of thought he would the way phil jackson did the job with the Knicks, that he's kind of breezing it out he's got these other businesses and not necessarily putting the time in despite all the effort that he made to prove that he was going to do that when he was first hired and then supposedly also a little bit of discord between magic and rob palenka maybe just because the team has not been any good this year so you know levitar is not exactly your go-to for nba sourcing these days he's pretty tied in with the heat still but you know maybe just something to monitor going forward we'll we'll keep our eye on you know i'm not sure how much of those reports to, to believe or not
1: yeah we'll just have to kind of see it borne out in the results and it's not like oh if they don't get lebron james that's because of the discord but we'll just keep an eye on it So let's
0: talk about this uh, Cleveland-Miami game now. Cleveland beating Miami 91-89. Miami had previously been unbeatable in clutch situations, as we'll talk about later when we just get into the more team-specific. This was just an absolute rock fight uh, between two teams that are actually pretty good from downtown, but uh, they shot a combined nine of... 54 from downtown in this one not too good cleveland salvaged their night by going 29 at 38 from the foul line the heat salvaged their night by doing a lot of damage at the rim where cleveland lacks rim protection but despite the fact that you know three out of 28 three-point shooting isn't that amazing uh, uh or i'm saying th- that you can't just all say oh it's amazing defense to hold to this i did think that cleveland's defense looked improved in this game to me
1: i will make a little bit of a distinction between their half-court defense and their transition defense I thought that Cleveland's half court defense was better but their transition was still pretty porous though it could still be porous and be better than it was before just because it was so heinously bad but like Justice Winslow for example he scored nine points I think at least three of those baskets were not against a set defense it was just kind of him weaving through and it was nice work by him I'm not I'm not saying just do anything like that but those sorts of plays were still there and you know for Miami to be able to to get points a little bit against a broken defense and remember also the transition in this game was kind of Weird, just because there were so many missed possessions, because there were so many missed shots. So, but there weren't. uh there were more turnovers than I remembered. I uh, get maybe there were, there were probably more in the second half. I, I focused more on that in the first in the first half. But yeah, I mean, I thought for people like me that have been concerned about Miami's half court offense, some of it was Cleveland being better, but some of it is just when you watch Miami, they're just not creating much separation, and there just isn't much that their guys can do from that point.
0: Yeah, actually, I, I hate to contradict you here. That's not true. I actually don't mind it at all. Uh, <laughs> but Miami actually really struggled in transition in this game. Really? Both in terms of frequency. Uh, they had only 19% of their opponent misses in transition and uh scored 2.6 points less than an average team would in Hmm. transition the the frequency was about even uh or about 50th percentile off of steals and then 18th percentile off a live rebound so part of that is because miami doesn't really have that dynamic threat who's going to push the ball uh but cleveland actually did do a a fairly decent job of getting back in this one i mean there there are a few bad plays i think we're maybe we're just because i checked this actually at the end of the game thinking like oh let's see how they did and it didn't strike me that they had been particularly good but i think we're just kind of attuned now to like look at their transition defense sure. being bad because you know it has been uh but
1: in this game it actually wasn't too bad i blame it all on that james johnson layup he was wide open for a layup and he hit the under, uh, he hit the underside uh, of the rim which when in a game that you lose by two points i mean you sit there and go like because i watched the first three quarters of this live and then watched the fourth quarter after the fact and i saw so i knew they lost by two and i'm like oh god like that he had an open pass to the late just hit the underside of the rib just like oh god that could, it didn't cost them the game that's not the way this works there are a lot of things but it's just like holy crap that was a, that was just terrible uh
0: so some interesting things uh, for cleveland here you know with, with kevin love out obviously it's a, a little bit different of a, a calculation we thought maybe their defense it would be better their defense is also better at home for them as well they couldn't get it done still from three-point range miami was three out of 28 but cleveland was six out, out of 26 they continued to just not be able to hit a 3 to save their lives but nonetheless they defended pretty well i thought and the point i was starting to make about miami's threes is 28 shots is not that many miami actually takes a lot of three pointers and then number two the shots that they were able to get up probably at least half of them were like pretty difficult attempts where kelly olenek actually he was zero for six on threes five of six on twos due to the lack of rim protection he was excellent there but he was having to shoot a lot of shots, just like really sprinting to a spot. He doesn't quite have the rise and versatility on his jump shot. To make those, Wayne Ellington, I mean, he takes some of the most ridiculous threes in the league, but he was taking even more ridiculous threes th- than normal. And I thought that even uh, Isaiah, he got back down a couple of times by Dragic, but they were able to help uh, him enough that that wasn't a huge liability. Isaiah actually had some pretty decent plays in, in help defense as well. He wasn't a huge liability in this one, at least defensively. Um, and Miami doesn't have a lot of one-on-one threats who can really take advantage of Isaiah either. And Tyler Johnson, you know, his three-pointers again were kind of you know tougher attempts, not just wait for the ball to get to me, feet set, get it up there. So uh, I thought that was encouraging for. Cleveland I thought Miami took some bad shots at, at times from downtown pretty early in the clock and that contributed to their struggles especially when you're going against this Cleveland team that doesn't have the greatest defense and if you work it around you should be able to find the mismatch eventually
1: yeah I, I, and Miami really a, a lot of their competitiveness in this game was fueled by that big run they had in the at the end of the second quarter where they were down 39-25 and then they went on a 23-8 to run that I think went right through the end of the first half and brought them really back into the game and during that stretch their offense was better cleveland missed a few shots that you would expect them to make but you got some of that idea of when they're playing with energy when they're playing with purpose and they were getting to the basket from from my from my vantage point they were getting to the basket well in that time better so better so than they did at other points and so that run you know that gave them a lot of the margin that they ended up using to stay in the game though they did have to you know it was back and forth in the later moments
0: it was amazing that they're able to make that run with the massive breeze that was clearly affecting their basket since both Josh Richardson oh. and Justice Winslow airballed free throws in oh, the Jesus. second quarter. Uh, but it, one of the interesting dichotomies that I saw in was Tristan Thompson got his third foul. He goes out, Fry comes back in, and they've got Whiteside in the game, and white side and the heat guards were able to really get to the rim Whiteside got a couple of offensive boards though he didn't have a huge impact overall in this one and the heat really were able to hurt fry defensively and he wasn't able to space them out offensively that changed in the third quarter when fry came in and he actually uh hit a couple of threes in the middle of the third quarter that helped cleveland get right back into it um and that was pretty much at Whiteside's expense and, and then they went away from Whiteside at, at times uh bam Adebayo had a a wonderful first half I thought he just was really killing Cleveland on the offensive glass just a huge force inside with his finishing and then you know Dwayne Wade tried to take him one-on-one a couple of times he had no chance against Bama on a switch
1: yeah there were plays and this isn't necessarily surprising considering Wade's experience with the team it's kind of an alternate version of something we've talked about before with the guy's defensive limitations where what Miami basically did with Wade was they made sure that there was a guy on him all the time and when he had the ball in his hands they just didn't buy on any of his stuff they basically said stay in front of him and he'll shoot a bad shot and you know he ended the game two of eight from the field a lot of those were just deep fadeaway twos and bam i thought did a great job on him james johnson had one really nice possession on him too and for those who i, I i'm worried about wade in a playoff series the highest levels you know obviously he did play in a playoff series with the bulls last year because the scouting report now on him in terms of his shot creation is the book is pretty clear but then he can still do other stuff like he had that crazy great outlet pass to lebron in the last couple minutes and he had that big i think it would classify as a block that and on one of the last possessions for miami which then isaiah saved out of bounds
0: yeah you mentioned isaiah and it continues to look very ugly for him offensively two out of 15 from the field of six on threes including bricking some pretty wide open spot up attempts as well He did have six assists and but The biggest thing that I've noted about him since his return is just not creating the separation. He did play in a back-to-back after playing against Detroit in that ugly loss last night, uh, but... He'll he can still kind of get to the rim, but he doesn't have the elite burst to get in front of guys and then either get them on his back and create the foul call, um, or just hang in the air and finish with either hand. I mean, it's one of the maybe the greatest little guy finisher that we've ever seen in NBA history, and that that now seems to be lost to. And I hope it comes back at some point, but uh, it doesn't appear to be close. And you know he'll get by guys, but now that instead of being in front of them, they're on his hip and they can just block his shot. He still has the talent for getting to the foul line. He was nine. 9 from the foul line today 3 of 10 from the field yesterday but 12 of 13 from the foul line yesterday as well so i mean but he's basically completely dependent upon making free throws for any kind of efficiency and and over the last five games, the best he's shot from the field is forty-two percent. He's been under forty percent every other game. Thirty uh, percent from the field in his last five games, and seventeen uh, percent from three.
1: One thing that I thought Cleveland did a nice job on. Some of it was Ellington missing shots he he can make, but I thought they did a nice concerted effort, which you would expect from a team that has a good catch and shoot guy, of just making sure there was somebody on him all the time with Ellington, and he looked out a yeah, sort. Yeah, Kyle of- Corver
0: did a great job. Great with job,
1: that. and so Ellington has been just such a nice force for their offense and you know when he he, he can close games with them he can just bring a lot of a lot of different elements and give them just a place where they could actually have shooting and have to defend and he was 0 for 4 did did contribute in other ways but i thought miami defended him well and better than almost any team has that i've when i've watched the Heat.
0: LeBron's performance also in this game, he generally does not play that well against the Heat and he skipped three of the last four that are actually in Miami. would be interested to see whether he plays when they go there this year, but... He's got, had 24 points, but was 8 of 21 from the field, continues the miserable three-point shooting, only one out of six, and had seven turnovers as well. I think the turnovers is usually one of the biggest barometers of how James is playing and whether teams are making it difficult for him as well. But seven turnovers, only five assists for James was a problem. I did think Jay Crowder looked pretty decent offensively in this one, and he still competes defensively. He just doesn't seem to have the lateral quickness that he had a couple of years ago to stay in front of guys like Olinick, Blue by him a, a couple of times uh, on closeouts with some of his slow drives. Uh, Tristan Thompson also did absolutely nothing in this game in 23 minutes. He was 0-5 from the field. I think Whiteside and Bam really caused some problems uh, for him uh, and had five fouls and only two offensive rebounds in his minutes. So he, he really is perhaps an underrated factor they're going to try to get him going again during this period when love is out he's going to play plenty of minutes here um they also went to some units with james at center which didn't do it incredibly well but those continue to hold some intrigue for them at times uh should we talk about the end of the game
1: yeah i think we should it was i mean good lord i mean beyond the fact that it took like an hour to play the last couple minutes of that game because of timeouts and reviews and all that kind of stuff but uh, i wanted to ask you kind of as a place to start with this what did you think of the lineup that cleveland ended with i mean basically it was isaiah wade jr lebron and i believe it was why am i playing on this it was crowder right jeff, jeff green. green that's who it was, either
0: yeah. jeff green or, or Crowder. yeah i mean they, they and you know actually i shouldn't have said what i said about uh, the lineup not being a because i forgot they closed with that lineup and that actually worked pretty well and you know these are t- two of the three best clutch teams in the league this year matching up but what it really was was LeBron again. When Cleveland really went to their best stuff, setting a sc- having LeBron get screened for by a small, usually uh, Jr. Or, or Thomas, whoever either Dragic or Tyler Johnson uh, was guarding. Uh, they had James Johnson on him. As the main matchup, I actually thought that Justice Winslow did the best job on James out of anyone and that he had had a really nice game. He actually played some point guard for the Heat uh, in their backup units when Dragic was out. I thought they should have tried to go with him. Uh, Obviously, he has some shooting limitations, but... uh, they also had a Linux in there as well maybe they should have tried to match up with johnson at center or maybe get you know dragic obviously has to be out there but maybe get tyler johnson out of the game and go with winslow instead to get a little bit more size but uh james just set up a wide open Crowder three as tyler johnson was just too small for him and basically got legally run over by james and then james got right to the rim for another layup in the last two minutes oh and wait so, can i
1: talk about it, that one but yeah so yeah that was a play where james got a Linux switched on him and and LeBron backed all the way up basically to the half court line to get steam. And I think J.R. Smith said a screen for him. I'm kind of sitting there going, you have enough time while he's doing this. And he's dribbling backwards to just scram Olenek. Guys never do that at the top of the key. And LeBron is an unbelievable passer. But I think they could have pulled it off because it just led to this hopeless situation where you have Kelly Olenek trying to defend LeBron James sprinting downhill.
0: So uh, we could pick it up here. Uh, Josh Richardson got an amazing defensive rebound and Spo did not take the timeout right away and instead there's some of it I would say mismanagement some of it was just a reasonable decision that just didn't work out for Miami time-wise in the last 30 seconds or so but they get the defensive rebound with maybe like 38 seconds left and go to bring it up and Spo doesn't call timeout until the ball crosses half court now maybe what he was thinking was hey let's try and push it see if we can get anything they did not with that incredible Cleveland transition defense in their way Danny uh and then they called timeout and at that point there was 33 seconds remaining. So they wasted five seconds there. And I thought, all right, the timeout here clearly is to make sure you get the two for one. And they they had two timeouts remaining. It was a great time to take one, but it probably would have been smarter to take that timeout right when he gets the defensive rebound, advance the ball, and make sure you get the two for one. And instead, they inbounded the ball, took a little while to get Olinik the ball in the post. He actually was matched up one on one against Crowder. They're only down one at this point, 88 87. And so a two would have been just fine. They didn't need a three. They looked like they were trying to set something up for Dragic that didn't really work and then they brought Tyler Johnson off a triple screen on the weak side to the ball and Johnson basically caught the ball and took a three fading away with 22 seconds left Dwayne Wade did, did a nice job switching out to contest that but really was a horrible shot they didn't need a three in that situation they'd already blown the two for one I thought Olenek had been very effective backing down Crowder earlier so I didn't really care for that shot I mean Olenek was trying to run what apparently was the play but the play took way too lawn to get set up they didn't get the two for one and that really hurt them uh the ball went out of bounds to the Cavs, and then i thought the Cavs did a couple something that you really hate twice uh the first time it worked out okay which was call a timeout uh to advance the ball and they could have made a sub people like oh they called it to get their offensive subs and well they could have made the sub just when the ball went out of bounds anyway uh instead they you know called timeout to get a play to get in but wasted one of their two timeouts before making an attempt to just get the ball in bounds anyway
1: one of the challenges though with them and this is the other impact of miami waiting and then calling the timeout was that miami or that miami calling the timeout allowed cleveland to get isaiah out of the game for that big defensive possession and as you said cleveland could have gotten isaiah in during the out of bounds they didn't do that they should have done that and they also should have tried to inbound it because you're just lowering your chances and i had this crazy revelation during this game which i watch a lot of the Cavs so I don't know why I hadn't thought of this partially because LeBron's been struggling so much from the line recently it's like oh yeah who the hell is gonna shoot who do they want to shoot these free throws because that's I mean Corver is is one natural option but they don't you know Isaiah hasn't been super reliable he was making his free throws in this game but I haven't when I watch him at the line I haven't been saying like oh well that part of his game is down solid so they ended up getting the ball to Isaiah Isaiah does does make both of those free throws to put them up by to put them up by three
0: so Miami took their Last time out, down three to advance the ball. They tried to set up a play for Kelly Olenek to come to the right wing and shoot a three on the move. That was cut off nicely again by Cleveland, Jay Crotter. Olenek did one of his glacial drives, but actually managed to hit a tough layup and score to bring them within one with 12 seconds left. Again, the Cavs went to the full timeout immediately without even really trying to get the ball inbounds. And I didn't like that. It almost cost them because they had to force it in to isaiah and tyler johnson denied him and i thought knocked it off isaiah the refs ended up giving it on replay to cleveland but i thought there was some pretty good evidence that it was miami ball the miami announcers certainly seemed to think so as did johnson the thought was that Cleveland was trying to get their good free throw shooters in. And yeah, Corver and Isaiah are better shooters than Wade and J.R. Smith. But those guys are good enough that I think you might as well try to get in because you don't want to be in that situation where you have to force it in. And so, again, the Cavs had to get in. They get it into Corver with 10 seconds left. And the Heat wasted three seconds, although I understand why they did it because they actually had Corver trapped pretty well with two guys uh, after Cleveland barely got it in. And Corver did well to just beat strong with the ball. Accept the foul instead of trying to make a a risky pass that could have gotten stolen. I thought that Tyler Johnson, when he got called for the foul, might have actually stripped Korver pretty clean, but uh, he didn't protest too hard. So maybe I was wrong about that. And then Korver makes one out of two and missed the second one. The rebound gets batted around. Finally, James Johnson gets it and he tried to push it up, but there was so little time left that when he got cut off by LeBron, who made a great defensive play against the with the impossible-to-score-on Cleveland transition defense was at its absolute apex on this play. Johnson looked for an outlet, couldn't find one, and then turned to shoot it and uh, ran out of time and and missed the shot anyway. LeBron uh, really got in his head uh, on that last uh, try as he tried to drive down the right side of the lane and just was cut off. So I thought that both on the two-for-one, the timeout, and then waiting to trap, although that was definitely defensible, Miami certainly could have used those extra seconds uh, that ended up ticking off at the end there.
1: Yeah, And and of course, well, I understand why you just sit sit back for a second and go, oh, they tried a three down one and then they tried a two down three. But some of that was dictated by the defense. Granted, you could say Cleveland's not the most stout in the world. But yeah, I I thought overall, you know, it it was weird because these two teams that are so great in the clutch and you think like and and in other games, they have executed better. Like this isn't just, you know, like, oh, they've they've been Mr. Magooing it this whole time. Far, far from it. But it was it was weird to see these two teams just kind of fumble their way through all with all the awkward stoppages which certainly didn't help but it was still it was interesting and i mean there was a lot going on and personnel changeovers and all that so a a good win for cleveland i mean they've really been scuffling the last little while as they've been kind of trying to,
0: and a big win in the standings here oh yeah miami is really breathing down their neck
1: yeah i mean and that got even more pronounced after cleveland lost that game in detroit you're kind of sitting there i think at that point it was a half game margin between those two teams now it's all the way up to one and a half because cleveland got the win i believe cleveland now has the tiebreaker with these two teams so i expect cleveland to finish with a better record personally i guess but i'm not sure that i guess it really depends on how you feel about miami's close game dynamism and that i think is a good way to tie in with our section on them because they're one of our teams in the 15 and 60
0: yeah they are 29 and 22 after this loss uh seven and five in their last 12 negative 0.9 net rating during the competitive portions of games that's only 20th in the Nba pretty massive I mean you will know, pretty massive differential between their record and their point differential they have the 26th ranked offense in the nba so maybe today's performance is not that incredible by cleveland's defense and uh the seventh ranked defense they do have a playoff odds per 538 of 95 percent just with all the banked wins that they have and certainly they are A data point for the vagaries of clutch performance last season, actually, when they were 41 and 41. I think they ended up having had a better point differential than they do this year, but of course, they just especially in that 10 and 31 start, they got completely destroyed. I mean, it was 11 and 30 start, actually. Uh, they got completely destroyed in close games and did better towards the end of the year, but this year they've been one of the best clutch teams in the NBA, especially they've been at a hell of a run until. Cleveland games so they've played 123 minutes in the clutch which is third in the NBA 22 and 12 in clutch games and that's when you consider how many games they've played that's like what 60% of their games 70% of their games something like that because it's too late at night to do math here but and, and uh, it's and,
1: and it's 75% of their wins
0: yeah yeah I mean that's probably a better way to look at it and they've gotten lucky in the clutch obviously I mean but they're Fundamentals are good I and mean, they have a plus 18 net rating in the clutch even after tonight. um But, you know, there are a lot of things that really are unsustainable that has created that awesome net rating.
1: I don't have the updated numbers from after this game because some of these dropped a little bit due to what happened. But before today, they were shooting 43% on threes in clutch time, 70% at the rim. And then opponents were shooting 19%. That number is updated 19% on threes in clutch situations, 15 of 79. So, yes. Miami does have you know you could say that there are certain elements of three-point defense they do a good job of and they prevent them but no you would never expect opponents to shoot 19% and you wouldn't expect them to shoot 43%
0: that said I mean they have had a different formula than a lot of teams in the clutch a lot of teams if you look at it especially teams with superstars there are guys who have these massive usage percentages in the clutch and when Deion Waiters was around that was him he had a 36% usage although that even that is much lower than you'll see from guys like Westbrook or LeBron or, or Kyrie but now they Really spread it around the highest usage rate among the guys who play now and, and were part of this recent streak of great clutch play Drogic 24% usage James Johnson 24% usage Whiteside at 20 and then everyone else is in the high teams it's uh, Olynyk, who usually doesn't play with Whiteside Josh Richardson Wayne Ellington those have generally been some combination of those guys who, who have been on the floor down the end of games lately for them so I think the fact that they spread it around makes them a little bit less uh, predictable uh, than a lot of teams are in the clutch and they also really have been effective getting right to the rim. Not all of that is Whiteside, but they're shooting 70% at the rim in clutch situations and taking a ton of shots there as well. Um, 36% of their shots right at the rim. And, and while they haven't shot it well on floaters, they're getting into the paint for a lot of those too. So uh, they are attacking the paint pretty hard and then hitting three-pointers off of that drive and kick game. So uh, how much of that is going to continue? You know, History really shows that most teams are going to regress towards average by the end of the year that's that that's a likely outcome we don't know that they're going to regress but there's not really much reason to think that there'll be anything other than an average clutch team going forward and of course uh, they lost a clutch game tonight Uh, maybe you could say that like a team like cleveland or uh, maybe boston although uh, is uh, or maybe golden state you know you're generally just going to be a better clutch team just in the last five minutes of games if you're a better team overall and also if you just have like the one guy who you're running everything through and you're running your best stuff for uh, the way that cleveland is been doing for lebron and he's been totally unstoppable in the clutch this season
1: all of those things you just said make san antonio being such a great clutch team this year even more impressive
0: yeah and they really last year they were an excellent clutch team as well two years ago when they won 67 games they actually had a a better point differential than that for most of the year and then they kind of shut it down at the end when it was clear that they weren't going to catch golden state so uh, these things are all pretty variable i mean we've seen teams like memphis We've seen teams like Dallas for a long time in the early Carlisle era have continued success. But, you know, even just by simple math, you'd expect there to be a few teams who are consistently good in the clutch just because, you know, there are 30 teams and maybe a few teams get lucky three, four, five years in a row. Um,
1: One quick thing, just for my own amusement. Do you want to guess who's now after today's game number two in clutch net rating?
0: The Sacramento Kings.
1: Yep. Plus 22. Yes.
0: (laughs) so the
1: kings right now are 30th in overall point differential and second in clutch net rating that is unbelievable
0: oh when you have all that veteran experience (laughs) yes
1: well so that that's why they're the the fifth now they're the fifth luckiest team and we should mention that these two teams that played tonight are the teams that are outperforming their point differential their win total outperforms it by the most because while they're not the top in net rating now they played more clutch games so that means that they've exceeded it cleveland is now plus 2.9 over that and Miami is plus 3.3, which is significant when you think about how close these teams are bunched in the East.
0: Also, significant to the future happiness of many of our listeners is Valentine's Day. And Sherry's Berries and Pro Flowers have teamed up to help you make sure that you don't screw it up with their perfectly paired collection. Their tagline is, you should go ahead and think inside the box this Valentine's Day with dipped strawberries and flowers, which will arrive together in a beautiful, specially designed box that keeps your berries cold and your flowers fresh. Guaranteed. I have tried the berries. They are, of course, outstanding and at least like the largest strawberries that you'll ever see uh, and then the flowers they give you all these instructions on how to keep them fresh they have a guarantee that they're gonna stay fresh for a long time they give you instructions that you cut the stems off uh, after a certain amount of time and put in uh, this food into the water that uh, helps them stay fresh and so it really does work they stay fresh for uh, over a week it, in my experience and the way to get this perfectly paired gift for 20 percent off or get 20 percent off any other gift over 29 dollars is to go to berries.com and enter that familiar promo code Capspace at checkout. So it's 20% off a perfectly paired gift or 20% off any other gift over $29 as well at berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Enter code Capspace at checkout. Let them know that you came from us. So we still have a couple of teams left here in the 15 and 60. The Knicks fresh off a desultory loss to the Celtics without Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart today. They got completely destroyed uh, by 30. 23 and 29, 4 and 8 in their last 12. Their negative 1.8 net rating is 21st in the NBA. They have the 14th ranked offense and the 21st ranked defense. Their playoff odds have plummeted to 11%.
1: It's going to take a lot for them, even with John Wall missing a bunch of time and, you know, the Charlotte, we don't know what they're going to do at the deadline, but they're you know, when you're six games underwater at this point, you have to win a lot of games. And when you watch the Knicks, you don't see like a 50 win team the rest of the season there. That's really going to push it out. And so that leads to the question of, well, if, if they aren't going to make the playoffs, what do they do from here? One obvious thing would be if they want to slow roll Kristaps Porzingis, either by giving him fewer minutes or by even encouraging have that that elbow surgery that would be one way of doing it and then another would be to move off of some of the players that are helping them win this year that are on expiring contracts Kyle O'Quinn is most discussed he has a player option which he might decline and so teams could see him as an expiring and also Michael Beasley
0: yeah, to, to hit on what you said about O'Quinn and their centers, there really seems to be absolutely no reason to trade for a center right now because the buyout market is looking so robust where we've seen Greg Monroe is already out there. Brooke Lopez was very upset after playing only 11 minutes today against the Magic. He got pulled 90 seconds into the third quarter. He was left the bench for a time, apparently was seen with like a towel over his head. That looks like a buyout waiting to happen as well. And there are certainly plenty of other centers who will be available on the trade market so expecting to get something back for a center it seems pretty darn unrealistic at this point and then for Beasley he's more interesting I think it's probably useful to talk first about just how he's been doing it this year I mean this is the second year now that he's been very efficient after his return to the NBA with the Rockets then he had he was under contract was sent in a trade uh, to the Bucs for Tyler Ennis and really contributed for the Bucs last year and he's shooting 53 percent from the field and only taking 43 three-pointers shooting a good percentage on those what really is the difference to me with him uh, versus earlier in his career when he was so dreadfully inefficient is he's pushed his game much more inside and whether that's at the rim where he shoots nearly 70 percent uh and takes 35 percent of his shots there uh and then in the 3 to 10 foot range he takes a further 28 percent of his shots so well over 60 percent of his shots coming within 10 feet this season and he shoots 52 percent from 3 to 10 feet and his touch even in the 10 to 16 foot range it is pretty good so he's what he's able to do now he has the size advantage on a lot of guys certainly at small forward he's played mostly at power forward but even has the size advantage on a lot of power forwards these days and he's got that great touch with either hand and so he's able either in isos where he's over a point per possession which is awesome uh, as a roll man in pick and roll against conventional pick and roll defense uh, catching the ball uh, at the free throw line uh, pulling up for a short jumper or a floater or even he's actually found people with some passes along the baseline every once in a while um and then on the offensive glass he's also been very effective so with the league getting smaller and the maturation of his game to where he's not just playing the three and taking contested 20 footers anymore that's how he's been able to be efficient and his touch really is much more effective from 15 feet and i think that's something that we kind of forget a lot when we say oh long two outside the restricted area like there are certain guys who if they get within 15 feet even though it's contested it becomes a much better shot for them than it would be you know a 20 footer like not all those shots are made equal russell westbrook is really another one of those guys who's just much better from 15 feet than he is from 19 feet
1: and that's certainly certainly fair to note and and a lot of those guys know how to get to those shots and so that can make a difference and so something that you asked and I think it's a worthwhile question is can he help a team what kind of team could he help and would those teams give up an asset and, and it's also way easier to trade for Michael Beasley than a lot of other guys because when somebody makes their minimum on a one-year contract they fit into the minimum exception you can just acquire them straight up which is very useful for the Knicks because there are a universe of teams open to them that can't take on more money
0: yeah and for the Knicks you know he, he might be someone they actually even would want to resign but they would have to dip into an exception and to do that if he's going to get more than the minimum i think that beasley could help a team like maybe the pacers as a backup four instead of tj leaf you know i think there are some teams that you know and the pacers have that second rounder that's 31 to 44 to brooklyn but the other half of that they could trade and that's almost certainly going to go this year um the Pistons still could probably be able to use more scoring as well. Charlotte, if they were a little more into it, could use it, but they're they're probably too far out of it now for him to be useful. But if you just look at an offensively challenged team, the Thunder even, I think, uh, with Robertson out, could find a use for him as well. He wouldn't be too expensive. Obviously, the Pels, although they're so close to the hard cap now that there would be a a concern but maybe either for the thunder what do
1: you think about minnesota
0: or for yeah he doesn't strike me as a tibbs kind of guy you know i don't like him there are, are, are you kidding because it's just like there's it's just another guy who well, needs the but ball i'm thinking hands, on so this on, really on the second unit
1: just like i mean yeah i
0: mean they've got so many stars though that they stagger and then they true. also have crawford it, who has to eat and teague i, I don't i don't care if, for they, sta- if they
1: staggered more yeah, i'm not saying it's the best option it was just one that i thought of as, as yeah. being potentially I, I just think they need to change up with the way they approach things in there
0: yeah well i think maybe what it could be too is if if it's a team that has a decent second rounder and I don't recall exactly what OKC's second round situation is obviously Beasley's not a guy who's going to get it first but perhaps he could be a part of a, a larger deal where a team like the Thunder or the Pels could also maybe just dump a little bit of salary you know like a Tony Allen or DeAndre Liggins for the Pels um, so that they could dump a little bit of salary and get someone who could help them in Beasley and maybe get a second rounder or a young player I mean like Chick Diallo or something going back to the knicks were and maybe the knicks will just say hey we want to keep him around but he's also helping them win games which they probably don't really want (laughs) at this point um yeah and there are a few other teams that could use his shot making the blazers might even be one where again they're in a tax situation right now where maybe beasley could be part of a deal where they get off of some money and and some assets go back to the knicks uh the wizards maybe could use a little more scoring with john wall out for a while so i think there are teams that definitely could use him i don't know that he'd be like oh oh man I really want to target this guy but he's been an effective scorer he still remains a a pretty miserable defensive player but I believe that we've seen enough from him these last couple of years and that the way in which he is scoring has been different than he was earlier in his career that I think he can continue to be this effective of a scorer uh, even in another destination
1: I'm hopeful and he could also theoretically depending on how the teams feel about it buy you could buy him out and then that team would be saving even more money because they could just pay him on a rest of the season contract as opposed to paying you know taking on i guess for them financially it wouldn't really be any different that's interesting it would be for the tax teams that would be more of a concern
0: for one other thing i wanted to talk about too with the knicks uh, micah adams at espn had a story about chris saps porzingis which basically concluded and it's worth reading if you want to take a look at it but using second spectrum data which is now you know basically Uses the sport view data and has partnered with the league and ESPN at this point. That Porzingis takes more shots with more than a six-inch height advantage on his man than anyone, which is not surprising. He's seven-three, but that he shoots only forty-two percent on those shots, and that's because this is something we've noted, both due to their lack of spacing and due to the fact that he's not really that strong or quick. He just will shoot over guys when they're kind of into his body, and that that's just a, a tough shot for him and maybe he's miscast as a guy who's just going to straight up create his own offense and the Knicks don't really have that many other guys there aren't it's not like they have these pick and roll artists who are setting up Porzingis so I think he has to take those shots to some degree also part of it too is just that he both is not a great passer and also just doesn't put a ton of pressure on the defense because he's shooting these contested mid-rangers uh but only 42% of those shots is not great that's not you know Dirk Nowitzki type of level you know high 40s where that becomes really a, a great shot for you I grant granted it should be be compared to other half court options so your opportunity cost is lower there but something to, to watch with Porzingis where it's just you know he's not taking he, he really has struggles to generate easy points for himself uh, for others uh, at this point in his career and I thought this article did a great uh job of making that point
1: are you ready to move on to the Sixers Yes, sir. Philadelphia, twenty four and twenty-four for the season after their loss today. Five and five since the last fifteen to sixty. They are eleventh in net rating, sixteenth in offense, fifth in defense, and eighty six percent chance of making the playoffs. Despite their five hundred record, five thirty eight is optimistic about what they can be. And one of the reasons why they're why it is so optimistic is because they have been impressive in january yes they've lost these two games to okc and brooklyn recently oh and they lost to the bucks as well that's true yeah. and
0: yeah they are on a three, three game, game losing streak
1: despite yeah. all that they're still second in net rating and fourth in defensive rating in january they have played a little bit smaller workload because of that london game so they got more time off but it's still i mean they're at 12 or 13 now so it's not that it's not like oh it's at six games and everybody else is at 12 and they're also number one in net rating in the last 15 games and that balance Is everybody out? That's the last 15 games for everybody at plus 6.6. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah,
0: especially considering how well they've been able to stay afloat with J.J. Reddick out. He returned today, but they really struggled at times to score against the Nets. Not exactly a a fantastic defensive team. I mean, they had some lineups out there where at the start of the fourth quarter, it was Embiid, Booker, McConnell, TLC, and Justin Anderson out there together. I mean, and Embiid was trying to go out to the look for Actually defended him reasonably well, but there was just so much help behind him as well and impede was just catching it at the three-point line and trying to drive and getting double teamed and giving it up and trying to post up and then get, getting double teamed again and it just it, it was too much to ask of, of him i think anderson has looked okay defensively i think it, he's a guy that they can get some use out of um but uh, one thing that's really and we'll talk about how tlc played it uh, starting in, in the absence of retic momentarily but it really is amazing that they managed to be this good offensively considering these massive turnover problems that they've had
1: it's pretty unbelievable so for the season not a surprise they've le- they've had towards the top in turnovers but so they're seven and six in games where they turn the ball over 20 times and so your first thought on them might be oh that's pretty good and then you go wait they've turned the ball over 20 or more times in 13 games this year that's almost a third of their season
0: yeah and again part of that is because they're relying on some young players to create nearly all of their offense Uh, and part of it is just because not only do they not have the spacing so it's easy for guys to help but then when so often guys have to turn down shots that would normally be open shots like mcconnell is the the guy who has to do this the most where he'll be staying at the three-point line they throw it out to him and unless he's in the corner instead of just taking what would be an open three with a zero percent chance of a turnover he's got to drive into the trees again and try to set something up, up for someone else and you know he's not a great finisher inside either and so he he has a really high turnover rate Simmons same way I mean he's when to get every shot you have to drive into a thicket of people you're naturally just going to turn it over more uh, than if you're just okay you threw it to this guy is open now you just shoot it and there's a zero percent chance of a turnover on that play
1: yeah so i mean some of those structural things will be improved as this team fleshes out their talent i mean they're going to have max money this year they have a bunch of other draft assets but they're going to need to make that a priority and they're going to need to be able to do that without sacrificing their defensive integrity and if they can do that this team could be something really special because they're fifth in defense this year they're still actualizing all that they haven't been great defensively when Embiid has been out of the game that's something we may or may not talk about in the awards podcast we're going to do on Sunday but or I'll talk about in the awards podcast on Sunday but they are going to have to do that and I don't want to throw TJ McConnell's 101.6 offensive rating all at his feet even though he is a point guard and some of that goes on him because of the talent he plays with but those sorts of things they're going to need to get better offensively when Simmons and Embiid are out there but they're going to need to get better without him out there too
0: yeah I mean they're playing Nearly exclusively with two big lines, and there's a ton of lineups where it's Amir Johnson and Rashawn Holmes together, or Amir Johnson and Booker, or or Embiid with another traditional big. I mean, their only lineup that has any kind of stretch to it is uh, Embiid and Saric together, and then with Simmons out there, you lose a lot of that stretch uh, as well. I mean, and they really only have two credible threats, maybe three if you want to include Jared Bayless, although he uh, was active today but got a, a DMP. One guy who, in theory, was supposed to develop into a 3 and D guy and did a credible job starting when Reddick was out for them to have the good record that they did was uh, Timothy Luau here be hereafter to be abbreviated TLC. His overall stats are going to get into just a, a heavier scouting report of where he's at, at at this point. 39% from the field, that's not amazing. Uh, 35% from three, though, that's pretty decent. And he's taking 59% of his shots from downtown little under 18% usage he's gotten to the foul line a little bit less this year as a percentage of his shots than he did last year when he was really asked to even create more offense than he was this year but as of right now pretty limited in terms of his own offense where you're hopeful because of the fact that he plays with Simmons and you know maybe he plays a lot of his minutes with McConnell as well it would be nice if he could do more off the dribble but it's not entirely necessary but generally teams expect their two to be able to run a pick and roll instead of just shoot threes and he's not really there for that he's got 51 assists in 743 minutes averaging only 1.2 assists per game that is not very good for your two guard and he's only run 20 pick and rolls that he's finished all year and he has 10 points on those he's every once in a while he'll throw a good pass to the roll man he'll throw a good pass to a guy cutting along the baseline doesn't really have the vision to find guys that, as shooters and most of his pick and rolls are, will either be pick and rolls or dho's where he's coming off from the corner sprinting up to the wing and, and either getting a handoff or doing a, a quick pick and roll where he catches on the move and he's got a nice first step he can get the advantage and get in the lane uh but he's not really going to drive and kick and this is also a team that doesn't have a ton of shooters to drive and kick too you know remember if he's out there reddick almost certainly isn't and he doesn't play a ton of his minutes with covington either. so there's not really you know maybe we would see more of that from him if he were playing with better shooters but certainly not something that we've seen from him so far um And he's also not a guy who really is able to finish at the rim with any kind of crap. He's really good at just going to go in a straight line, attack off of one foot, and he's gotten a ton of his shots blocked uh, at the rim. In fact... He's had 19 of his shots blocked, and we can assume that the vast majority of those are at the rim, and he's only shooting 50% at the rim. He's 41 out of 82, so he's missed 41 shots at the rim, and he's had 19 shots blocked, most of which are probably at the rim. So the math on that, he's probably getting almost 25% of his shots at the rim just straight up blocked.
1: Well, considering he's only taking 8% of his shots from mid-range, you have a lot that's going in there. My favorite TLC stat from this year, 92% of his makes are assisted. So that means that he's not doing a lot, a lot on his own. Which you don't have to. You don't you don't have to do a lot on your own, but ninety two percent is incredibly high.
0: Yeah, and again it it he has not really had the chance to blossom that's not his role but I, i'm not sure that he has it within him i mean when he played with mega whatever their sponsor was at the time mega bazura or mega lex or whatever it was that that club in Serbia that uh Bio basket owns the european agency that has been sending a lot of guys through there part of the appeal was that he had a lot of freedom to handle and pick and roll and and do a lot more stuff but he's not had a chance really to grow that part of his game so far Also advancing the argument that he's totally a secondary player. 38% of his offense comes on spot ups 21% comes in transition but of those transition plays only 7% of his plays in transition occur as the ball handler most twos you'd say okay he gets the rebound most twos are just going to push it they're not going to look to outlet it but he's not really doing that and actually you know creating any offense putting pressure on the defense with the dribble in transition that has not been his role either
1: I think we both need to watch a little bit more film on both of them but how are you feeling about whether you would prioritize keeping T.L tlc or justin anderson as we move forward
0: for me it would be anderson I tlc has more shooting potential but Anderson just has so much potential uh, as a defender and a switch guy that and I think you can just find twos more easily especially bench twos Anderson you know if he finally gets it shooting the ball which eh, maybe is maybe is becoming less and less likely but he's a guy who maybe if he's not a pure stopper on the wing he's so strong and he's so athletic that you know he really can almost switch 1 through 5 pretty credibly and those sorts of players with that physical capability don't really exist that much and he's got more offensive game than someone like a semi Ojulari does although he's not quite as much of a brick shit house as, as uh Ojale is but so i would say anderson uh tlc is younger um maybe has a much better shooting potential i would say uh but he's just it's easier to find guys like him elsewhere so if it came to, and i think they probably especially because they've got sharich and and they don't really have a backup to uh, with bayless missing all this time they, they've TLC has obviously played more than Anderson. The organization may not feel that way, but I would probably prioritize Anderson just be, just even on the 15% chance that he could become like a, a decent enough shooter. Then I think he could be an extremely valuable player. Whereas TLC, you know, I don't necessarily see him growing into this sort of offensive player you need as, as a start and then defensively I think he could be solid but he's never going to be strong enough to really guard threes
1: yeah I would bet more on the defense tool at this point than the offense one just because we know how that can vacillate and they both have another year under team control TLC has more beyond has another beyond that but I wouldn't see the contract as being a huge advantage one way or the other so yeah I would be more interested in Anderson either to keep as the Sixers or to trade if you were trying to do that as a sweetener in like let's say a deal to dump Jared Bayless or something.
0: One other thing on the Sixers, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it here, but Bodner and a few other people around the Sixers have been talking about the idea of potentially trading for Avery Bradley now. Now, Bradley cannot be aggregated, but he could be traded for a Jared Bayless, perhaps. Obviously, Philly would have to throw in an asset there, but likely you would think their own first round pick. But the appeal there is that they could then re sign both Avery Bradley and J.J. Reddick should they want to. Now, I would be still hunting bigger fish than Avery Bradley with their cast space, and I'm sure they will be, but it could potentially be a fallback to bring both of those guys in. I think Reddick is still better than Bradley, but to just get another guy who can help and have bird rights and be able to retain Reddick as well, it could be helpful, but uh that's just a thought i don't think especially given that where they are at this point right now that i would make that trade i wouldn't want to start avery bradley for this team and i wouldn't want to pay him his next contract if in fact it's going to take you know high teens 20 million a year to retain well i've
1: got a question for you what about that same structure for contavious called well
0: the only problem there is that they would have to find a third team because the lakers can't but you could do
1: Amir. you could do trevor booker will be aggregatable Th-
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah. That might actually be, uh, that would be it. Yeah. On the last day before the mm-hmm. deadline. Yeah. I think that, that might get it done. Um, and they could
1: throw in, you know, something small if they wanted to. they are a bunch of, I mean, the Lakers, <laughs> the, oh, I, cause I did get to mention this in the Knicks section. And I think this is just the craziest thing about how the Knicks have traded five consecutive second round picks to the Sixers. It's just, it's just yeah. unbelievable. One of those has since moved, that moved to the Nets in the Julia for Tre- Trevor Booker trade. But I don't know. That, that just is so completely insane to me. And it's not not like it was all in one deal i think it was in four trades so they have those to use as well and it looks like at least the first couple of those are going to be pretty good
0: yeah kcp w- would be great to get there um you know i'm still sh- he's not exactly what i think they need i think what they actually could most use is somebody who can shoot a three off the dribble and run a pick and roll and well
1: kcp uh, thinks he can do both those. That, does that count <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he's he's better than any option that they have so far uh at those but so. but so
1: so yeah, I, I, I talked about this underrated pick i talked about game. this with somebody today and for me why it's much more interesting with kcp is because they're you need to i think you need to learn more about him like how he fits with the locker room he's he, he is younger as well and so to me that just to get that knowledge is worth it if it doesn't take a lot in terms of assets to get him and then with him also you the bird rights are you know even if it's non-bird that's enough with the salary that he's getting. I think that's going to be enough to sign him so then you can stay over keep reddick all that kind of stuff i like that much more with him with the knowledge you glean than with avery bradley because i think we already know what avery bradley is
0: yeah i mean you and i might be the only two people on earth who think kcp is better than avery bradley but uh you know neither of them have had amazing years but especially kcp i mean he just cannot he's always totally overstretched on these teams i mean he has nobody to create a three-pointer for him he has to take really tough shots but maybe if he got more open shots he could be a better three-point shooter or maybe he's just is a high-value guy who's always going to shoot 35 percent from three maybe that's uh what's but i I actually might even like him better defensively than bradley just because he actually you know he gets some more steals than bradley and actually provides some help but all right we're getting too far afield here on the sixers anything we got to talk about before we depart
1: well i had three pieces come out today i i alluded to them or talked about them on yesterday's show but i had sixers trade deadline preview warriors why they should consider trading young and why they won't and then this, the, the Celtics idea, building off of your idea from 2016 of the human trade exception, how they could acquire a pending restricted free agent to use to just get some salary ballast because they have no salary ballast if they want to make a big trade in a couple of years. So it's all on those ideas. And then uh, My Real Gym Radio with John Gavoni came out today as well.
0: yeah Awesome. You did a Denny Storytime too, right? That's right.
1: I did. I did on that Celtics piece. I got approval from the Sporting News to put that out. And and I'm really thankful for that because you know they don't have to do that. It theoretically takes away some readers for the piece so if you want to support them by also clicking the piece if you listen to the patreon as well that's much appreciated
0: yeah patreon.com slash the roo, great time to sign up for that with the trade deadline coming up we put out uh, salaries for the blake griffin trade within an hour and a half of that trade being announced so you can see how it affects things uh, books and danny's doing danny story time we're doing mailbag pods we're finding some more ways to get you guys some content when we do a pod like actually maybe we can even post like just our award selections on patreon too uh that might be something that could add a little value as well so we encourage you to sign up uh you can always cancel after the trade deadline and then just sign up again for free agency as well we're, we're uh we'll take whatever we can get
1: <laughs> but we'll take as much as we can get too
0: <laughs> ah with that chilling laugh i guess we'll end the podcast now
1: <laughs> my only laughs are chilling laughs
0: yeah <laughs> well it's funny actually because like the, I usually re-listen to every one of our shows, just like try and see where we can improve. And so a lot of times, you know, I don't want to put headphones in. And so uh, my fiance will be around and... She said that, and I listened on 1.5x speed, and she like heard this one segment where like you and I were laughing sped up at 1.5x speed, and she's like, you're going to have to just use headphones from <laughs> now on. I was like, I completely understand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we're done here. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, there will be no technical difficulties, and we'll give you Mark Stein with a one week before the trade deadline primer. Can't wait for that. We'll talk to you all then.